there's an enormous amount of similarity in terms of what I'm saying and what the Bread and Woods 3 camp is saying, which is that the dollar is done, the world's collapsing, it's all militaristic, it's all about supply, not demand. What I'm saying, which is what I said at the beginning, is that actually when you start that analysis and you realize that what it really means is militaristic mercantilism, like we had for hundreds of years in Europe, you have to look at who's got all the winning pieces there. And it's the West. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with Rabobank Head of Global Strategy, Michael Levery. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with Michael, in which he discusses how the geopolitical order is balkanizing in a way that will dramatically change the world order over the coming decade, head over to our channel at youtube.com slash Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment options we discuss in this video. And be sure to stick around for the second half of this video where we talk about how to craft an investing strategy designed to weather this growing systemic uncertainty. For all this and more, let's get started watching part two of our video interview with Michael Every. I want to get to the, okay, so what does all this mean part of the discussion? You know, the, these videos are watched by regular retail investors who are trying to figure out, okay, how do I prudently protect my wealth and prudently grow it given this really kind of storm cloud rich uh, macro environment that Michael's just laid out for me here. So I guess first question is, is so where do you see the markets going from here, at least for the next year or two, um, uh, given this macro picture? You know, we, we just had well, one of the worst starts to the, at least in the U.S., one of the worst yeah. starts of the year ever with, with stocks and bonds being down this, you know, so much so early in the year together. So picking it up from there, what do you think is going to happen? Okay, full disclosure, this isn't investment advice. This is just a, a thought yep. piece. But it's very hard to be bullish on any asset right now apart from commodities and the U.S. dollar. Now, if you're an American investor, that doesn't mean anything to you because the dollar is your base of comparison. But it does mean that everything overseas is going to look a lot cheaper. So you might start to see some interesting opportunities abroad if you look there, particularly in emerging markets. Some of those could absolutely crumble. Um, but commodities, and that is where I do agree with this Bretton Woods 3 thesis, they will continue to be supported because it's not about demand now. We've proven we can push up demand via you know, QE and fiscal spending and low interest rates. Can we control supply? Mm -hmm. That's the commodity story. That's the supply chain story. So also anything related to reshoring, onshoring, friendshoring, that's a kind of a, an umbrella to also consider. Very depressingly, right. and I'm sorry, what, what, was, what was that last word? Freeshoring? Free Friendshoring. Friendshoring. Oh, like, like yeah, that's, us that's... sourcing from Canada? Would that be an example of it? US sourcing Well, from they're very expensive. Sourcing from maybe India or Vietnam, not China, or from anyone else who's equivalent cost of China, but not China. Okay, so... so basically, so, anyone who's your friend. Someone who's on Team USA. Like as we're USA, talking about this exactly. bulk, balkanization, someone who's picking the exactly. USA team, but they've got a lower cost of manufacturing. Got it. Exactly. Pick the right team. Think of which team you're, you're investing in. That's, that's going to be a big theme going forward. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be a gangbusters return because against this kind of backdrop of the Fed head hiking aggressively and, you know, falls in real wages everywhere, it's a mess. As we see reflected in markets, it is a mess. But there are still pockets that stand out. And another one to consider very depressing. I don't like recommending it. And it's not a recommendation. It's just an observation. Defense. 
in this environment, there's no way that people aren't going to be spending a lot more on defense globally. You know, the order books for all kinds of weaponry are going to be full for years to come. Um, so just to wrap up, if I can quickly from my side, there's an enormous amount of similarity in terms of what I'm saying and what the Bread and Woods 3 camp is saying, which is that the dollar is done, the world's collapsing, it's all militaristic, it's all about supply, not demand. What I'm saying, which is what I said at the beginning, is that actually when you start that analysis and you realize that what it really means is militaristic mercantilism, like we had for hundreds of years in Europe, you have to look at who's got all the winning pieces there. And it's the West. It's much better to be in a position where you can onshore supply chains than have them offshore. It's much better to have the world's largest military, which the US has, and allies like Europe and Australia who are now gonna start spending a lot of money on their military, buying US weapons, by the way, uh, than to not have one. It's good to have the currency, which everyone still prices most things in because of the network effect and the trust in US markets and the fact that you run a trade deficit, whereas the other side runs trade surpluses, which means it's hard to get hold of the money from them, mm -hmm. whereas it's easy to get hold of dollars. Yeah, you're not gonna bring China with you, maybe. You're definitely not going to bring Russia with you. Iran, do you want them with you? You know, you, you can draw up a list of countries. But if you put a map together of all those countries that go together, as I said, they trade very little together. And most of them, with the exception of China, are commodity producers who can't just sell commodities to each other. Turkmenistan and Kazakhstan and Russia and Iran, what are they all going to sell to each other? Gas? It doesn't work as a network. And China isn't a commodity producer, it's a commodity importer right. and a goods exporter to the West. And if we don't buy their stuff, they're in trouble. So the long and the short of it is Team USA, if they play the game right, and we've had the worst coaches for a long time. <laughs> but if team, if team USA plays the game right, they're in it to win it. And so the dollar is still a buy. Okay. Um, well, that's great. So just to just to repeat, um, commodities, I assume that's not just the base commodities themselves, but those are companies that mine them, produce them, refine them, yep. they, yep. they support the distribution of these commodities, etc. So it's the whole complex um, US dollar itself. Um, uh, what I heard you say is maybe maybe don't invest right now in emerging markets, but they're going to get so crushed at some point. You may want to buy in because those tend to be natural resource-based economies anyways, right? So, mm -hmm. but but right now it might be a little bit too early to get in because you're expecting more pain first. Um, reshoring, uh, onshoring, friend shoring, and then the defense industry. Um, thank you. And yes, not personal financial advice from Michael Every, just just you know, big picture thinking from his you know seat up atop the mountain, the macro mountaintop there. Um, you know, it sounds like you're, I heard you say, look, you don't really feel very bullish about anything else. Is there any asset class that you would like completely avoid? Um, you know, I know right now some people are looking at the rising interest rates market and, and saying, look, you know, they're calling the secular shift from falling interest rates to ri or yields to rising yields. And they're just saying, I wouldn't touch a bond, you know, for the next 30 years. Are, are there any asset classes like that that you just feel are kind of particularly toxic right now? Um. Well, obviously, anything to do with long supply chains and China and energy markets, I mean, which we've just emphasized, there's no one asset class, because when you're seeing this degree of volatility, even within this big picture, you can get epic shifts just for a few months at a time. Um, you know, were the Fed to do what I don't 
suspect they will, but they could do, and, and try and cut rates aggressively, even from the second half of this year, suddenly there's a buyer's market for bonds again. Right. You know, that, that can re-emerge more quickly than people think. Um, the stock market, let's not delude ourselves. This is a free market. Let's not delude ourselves. There isn't a kind of a, occasionally a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It would be good if a sovereign wealth fund from another country or a large fund stepped in to buy the market of via right, this particular a thumb on the scale, or, if you will. Yeah, yeah or, or, or ramping the gamma a little bit on this because, you know, we don't want that to be too low. That can happen and you're caught short. So be wary of epic volatility, but just try and understand the overall backdrop. And that's what I'm trying to present here. What's the global strategy? I'm a global strategist. That's my global strategy. Balkanization um a new world order that actually looks a lot like the old world order and i don't mean the one from a few years ago i mean the one from the 18th and 19th century all right well really really fascinating i like that quote be wary of epic volatility um so sounds like a time for caution prudence defense um which for the way that most people in the west have been investing for at least the past 12 years you know i could even maybe say past 20 uh, it's a big mental shift. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. And in fact, it's the biggest for the people in markets, not for the retail investors. For the people in markets, you know, it's always been buy the dip. It's always been, right. so when do we get the when do we get the Fed bailout? Every, everything is noise. I, I even saw something on Bloomberg just yesterday. Someone said, well, what happens in Donbass in Ukraine will stay in Donbass. And there's like maybe a, you know, a billion people going to go hungry. Uh, the disconnect is just amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, okay, after that statement, I hate to ask this one, but um, we do talk about gold quite frequently on this program. I know you basically said commodities are one of the few things you're bullish on. Gold is a commodity, um, but it also sort of has a special role as a safe haven um, asset. Uh, do you have any particular opinion on gold one way or the other in this environment? Sorry, I, right. I, I know it's going to maybe disappoint people listening and I get a lot of hate mail about it, but I can't see the case for gold while the Fed is hiking because you are you don't get a correlation with the Fed hiking aggressively and gold going up. It's just not and, and is happen. that just because real rates are becoming more positive or maybe less negative in the near term? Yeah, absolutely. And again, if you want to buy into the gold argument, you're effectively buying into the end of the US system. It's, to buy gold is to not back Team USA in this and to implicitly back team new world order and commodity commodity currencies. And history shows that it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. We could have a whole hour long conversation about why that's the case. Yeah, but, that, that would actually be fascinating at some point when, when you don't have to go in the next minute. Um, but I really do appreciate <laughs> you sharing it here. So I guess parting two parting questions for you. One is, um, is there any other advice you have for today's individual who's just hoping not to become collateral damage as the, the geopolitical titans, you know, conduct this battle of the balkanized armies over the next decade. Yeah, um, for me, one simple acronym, KISS, keep it simple, stupid. And, and, you know, clever strategies that are really complicated work sometimes in low interest rate environments where you can do a bit of this, bit of that, bit of jiggery pokery, and you get something fantastic at the end. In these kind of environments, understand your base principles. Team USA, not Team USA. Long way away, near me. Can I eat it? Can I drink it? Yes, no. Really basic stuff like that will actually steer you much better at the moment than the more complex kind of uh, spin that we're sometimes offered by markets. All right, great. And then last question. Um, for people that have really enjoyed this conversation, Michael, but maybe hadn't been exposed to you beforehand, 
they would like to learn more about you and your work, where should they go? Well, I'm afraid most of what I publish is for Rabo clients only, um, as I, I said last time. Uh, but a lot of what I do does get picked up by the media or by websites uh, or occasionally on YouTube. Um, so if you Google my name and Rabobank, you do tend to find quite a lot of material that I publish. And I'm happy to have that out there for people. But directly, I'm afraid you have to be doing business with Rabo. So come and have a word with your Rabo representative and maybe we can have a chat. All right, great. And when we edit this, I will put up uh, the instruction to Google Michael Every Rabobank um, so that people who <laughs> want to find you that way can. Uh, all right, Michael, we're right here at the end of the hour. Thank you so much for giving us this time and your morning halfway across the world. Super fascinating. Really appreciate it and look forward to having you back on again this program soon. Thank you. It was a pleasure. See you again next time. Bye-bye. All right. Now's the time of the program where we bring in the lead partners from New Harbor Financial. They're one of the endorsed financial advisors here at Wealthion. Um, I'm going to ask them what they thought about Michael's phenomenal talk there. Um, and then we'll get into the details of what the markets have been up to. Uh, I'm joined today by Mike Preston. John Loder is away for the week. Uh, but Mike, thanks so much for standing in and being here solo. I'm happy to be here, Adam. Thank you. Good Thank to see you. you. And I know, I know you're staying up late tonight. It's, it's crazy. I'm in California. You're in Massachusetts. Michael was in Singapore. Um, this was the only time that worked for everybody. But thanks for staying up late. Um, well, look, we covered an awful lot of territory. I guess I'll give you an open field to react any way that you want to. I, I, I sort of felt through the whole interview, you were probably nodding most of the time with everything that Michael said. When he got to gold, I think maybe you got a difference of opinion, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But what were some of your key takeaways there? Well, that's okay on gold. We don't have to agree with everything. Um, but I, I was that that was an amazing talk. I'm, I'm, I'm rereading my two pages of notes here, and I I learn a lot from every one of your headliner guests, but but this one I just was really really fulfilling for me to fill in some 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 gaps of knowledge because we have our heads down tactically managing money, looking at charts, technicals, certainly understanding fundamentals and geopolitics. But boy, Michael just filled in so much there for me to really understand the interplay there between Russia and China and how it affects us. I mean, for instance, um, you know, he made a very strong argument about, about why the U.S. dollar is likely to stay strong for a while anyway, maybe, maybe, not, a maybe not forever, but for quite a while. We run a trade deficit here and we basically flood the world with dollars and, and, and the key players, namely China, who exports uh, a good chunk of their production to the U.S., really is kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. I find it interesting that Michael thinks that ultimately China will choose Russia over the U.S. and they probably have to. You know, I was pulling up a Google Maps uh, page on Russia and China. I didn't realize just how big the border was between Siberia and China. It's a huge border, you know, and that's their neighbor. And the U.S. is on the other side of the world. And even though we're economically extremely important to them, it makes sense why they will probably choose China in that. Now, these things are slow moving and unpredictable, but, you know, they certainly will lend a lot of volatility to the markets. Markets that across the board, around the world, are priced for protection, um, for perfection, not per protection. Um, and if you look at, for instance, a, a chart of China, China's market looks to be down around 20% this year. If you look at the major ETF, on top of being down a good chunk last year, the Russian market has cr absolutely cratered. And at least in the US, you, know, you can't trade Russian stocks anymore. And who knows when you will be able to do so again. But 
The bulletproof S&P 500 is down only 13% from its all-time high. It's, it's high on January 4th. And so most people here in this country haven't even really woken up, I don't think, to A, the hyper-overvalued stock market and the risk that that entails, and B, the way that these geopolitics um, will play in the years ahead. And we are, again, at a time that's far beyond even the, 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 the most extreme tippity-top overvalued point in history, including more extended than the 1929 high. And uh, there's a lot at stake and there's less and less levers to throw to try to pull us out of this. And so uh, one thing I agree with Michael tremendously on is the volatility is going to probably stay high and get higher from here. Yeah, and it's funny, uh, at the beginning of this year, uh, before the war, um, I, you know, as January got off to you know a little bit of a rocky start, um, I talked to a few people. Steen Jacobson sticks out in my mind, who said that yeah, we think we're going to have higher volatility this year than we'd had in the past um, because we practically had no volatility uh, after the Fed stepped in with the massive stimulus after the uh, the COVID outbreak. Um, and, you know, we had some discussions about, okay, well, you know, how can an individual investor get some exposure to volatility? But we were sort of thinking about it as like a, you know, a little slice of your portfolio. And whatever the true slice is, I think Michael made a really good case that, you know, a, a fairly substantial slice of your portfolio at least has to take into account uh, the potential for a lot higher volatility going forward. Doesn't necessarily mean you need to be invested in VIX, but you just have to, you have to be thinking about how do I hedge against a lot more volatility than than the world has been used to dealing with. Um, yeah, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, it's so funny because we, you, you, Michael is clearly a very smart guy. Um, I just had a conversation a week ago with Alistair McLeod and Alistair made, you know, a really compelling case for this sort of Basel three world and how, you know, Russia might be smart like a fox here. Uh, and is going to be kicking America out of Europe, or at least weaning Europe out of America and becoming, you know, Europe's, even more of Europe's commodity supplier, um, and being the bridge between Asia and Europe and all that stuff. Um, and, uh, and then you hear Michael talk and you have him, you know, he's got a completely different opinion. And he thinks Russia's basically made a huge strategic blunder here and is, is it's going to end very poorly for them. Um, and at this point, we just we don't know. You know, we're, we're going to keep talking to experts and we're just going to watch the developments and see what happens. Uh, obviously, Michael is based there in Asia. And as he said, he spent a fair amount of his childhood in Russia. So he does actually have a really advanced um, perspective on the whole thing there. So I wouldn't discount anything uh, that he said, but nor would I you know, discount a lot of what Alistair said either. So it's going to be very interesting to see going forward. I, I, I just sort of mention all this to say, look, folks, we're, we're getting into kind of terra incognita here on the macro sense, and it's going to be a long time before we know how the dust settles. So, you know, we're going to be doing a lot more of these interviews that we, we have been doing here on Wealthion, really just to keep us all as up to date as possible as the story plays out um, so that, you know, we're at least hopefully hearing from the experts in real time how, how things are unfolding here. Um, of course, that makes it a really challenging time to come up with a strategy to navigate all this, you know, financially, Mike, and, and that's the role that you and John and the team at New Harbor have there. So, um, you know, I kind of don't envy <laughs> your job of trying to figure out how to, how to sail this ship 
um, you know, through seas that are darkening like this, but obviously it's incredibly important need. So I'm curious, you know, when, when you listen to Michael there, what's going through your mind as you're thinking about, okay, you know, I've, I've got to translate this into a portfolio strategy that gets my clients, you know, through this storm. Yeah, it's really tough. I'll tell you the truth. I mean, we have held a, a fair amount of cash for, for, for quite a while because we think we're in crash-like conditions. And indeed, the market has started to try to crash multiple times, 2018, 2020, every single time. Money printing and, and stick saves have, have uh, pushed the market to, to new highs. And each one of those corrections, and I could even argue that the 2008, 2009 correction was one of those. Each one of them have ended with a needle point bottom far beyond fair value. Even the 09 correction ended somewhere with a, a cyclically adjusted PE ratio of around 15, far, far above where previous bear markets have bottomed. So it's been, uh, as Michael mentioned earlier, thus far, it's been bubble burst, stick save, bubble burst, stick save with the, the central bank. And what's... What's likely to happen next is some mixture of things that we can't predict. You've got a system that's multivariable and complex that central banks have tried to control each and every lever and have been successful, frankly, beyond even what I thought they would have been able to do. But what we're trying to guard against and protect people from is some kind of L-shaped move, not a V-shaped move that comes right back, but a paradigm shift where markets for one reason or another, attempt to revert back to fair value. Eventually, they almost certainly will. It's just pure math. And every other time in history that we've had such a stretched set of circumstances, they have. I'm very concerned about an L-shaped move that stays there. And so I think it's primarily most important to A, not take the ride down, and B, be very careful about overcommitting and buying the dip. Uh, it's almost a perfect storm. It's a it's a market that's extremely vulnerable, particularly when you take into, a, into account all of these geopolitical risks. And yet, literally, almost nobody is worried. Now, obviously, the, the viewers of this program are worried, but I can tell you in general from you know, my observations in the financial media and talking to the public, um, you know, and even people that I know, friends and family, there's not, very much, there's not very much worry. And why should there be? It's been a straight up market for 12 years. And, you know, continually hitting new highs. And still, we're only down 13%. And that's with the VIX at 30 and likely to move higher. So, um, it, you know, it's tough. One phrase that Michael mentioned was, it's hard to be bullish on anything right now. You know, it's true. It's hard to be bullish on anything. So we, we're bullish on undervalued, undervalued sectors. We do like emerging markets. Although, yes, there's more risk to the downside there, which is why we have that position hedged with an offsetting um, short S&P position, uh, which we, uh, you know, we think minimizes the systematic risk. And, you know, commodities. We like commodities, including gold. Uh, even though we disagree on that, it's fine. We, we like commodities in general. And I think it's fascinating that Michael said the story about commodities is those that produce it get to control the supply of it. That's going to be the story going forward. So we have cash. We've got some short-term fixed income. We've got commodity exposure. 
Um, but we really think the biggest thing to do here is to avoid the big hit to the downside because everyone's bought into that the fact that this market is bulletproof and can't go down. Yeah, um, and to that last point about everybody being bought in still, um, I just looked at the put call ratio for the past year and it's kind of right back to the middle of the range, right? I mean, that that's something that that indicates kind of how bullish or bearish people are right now. And it seems that folks are just not very worried you know, at the moment. Um, I'm glad you, you, you've mentioned that the market's down around 13% right now. Um, I, I, I don't know if you know off the top of your head, Mike, um, kind of how your general model portfolio is, is performing as of right now. But I know last time we talked, um, you know, you were relatively flattish for the year, maybe a little bit up, maybe a little bit down. I can't remember exactly. But, you know, because of the conservative stance that you've been taking, expecting, you know, in, anticipating that, that we might get into some rockier times in the market, that seems to at least been paying off so far this year. Is that still correct? It is, Adam. We, we were up, you know, low single digits. Um, we have had a, a bit of a pullback because of our exposure to mining stocks in the last, and, and commodities in general. The last week, week and a half has seen a, a very sharp pullback. Um, you know, I won't say that it's invalidated the bullish breakout in gold or in the mining stocks, but it's been it's been quick and swift and slightly surprising. And that has clawed back a little bit of our year-to-date gains. I would say the best representation of where we stand is roughly roughly flat, maybe very slightly plausible. Okay, great. Which, you know, compared to a general market that's down 13%, is pretty great relative performance. Um, <clears throat> all right, well, uh, I guess just before we hop off that point, are you guys uh, contemplating adding any more at these lower minor prices or are you just sort of protecting the current position? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. I'd like to, you know, each week, it's nice to give an update on what we're doing. Um, we did a week and a half or so ago uh, when, when miners were higher and always I, I reference GDX, not as a recommendation, but as a proxy for the entire mining sector. The ETF GDX was around 40 or 41. And uh, we, we put a collar on and reset our hedges on that down right around GDX 33 going out the next couple months. So, so that hedge is on. We're, we're happy about that. So that was one change. And we have been building a longer term bond position. You can use the proxy TLT for that, which is U.S. Treasury bonds, more than 20 years in, in, in maturity. We prefer the highest quality bonds, U.S. Treasury bonds, and we uh, have a couple different layers into that. And that continues to be weak, but we have that hedge with short call options as well. And um, we're looking to you know, maybe trade that over the next handful of months. Obviously, our, our, our belief is that we're hitting technical levels that are likely to at least slow down the decline in bond prices. And we should see bond yields, therefore, stop going up for a little bit of time and maybe even come back down. So that's more of a shorter term trade. Very long term. We don't like long term bonds, but this is more of a short term trade. Um, other than that, we, you know, we, we, um, we've just made some minor adjusting um, trades to some of our option positions. There's no new sector exposure this week other than what I just mentioned. Okay. And for the folks watching that maybe didn't understand everything Mike mentioned there when he talked about putting on a collar or the short term calls, um, that is, and I'll give you a chance to clarify this in any way, Mike, but th that, that is sort of the, the risk management that your firm uses where 
uh, oftentimes it'll take a long position and then it'll basically just buy a little bit of insurance um, just in case that position doesn't go in the direction you think it will. You're, but we, using that insurance, you're going to be limiting your loss potential. Is that all accurate? That's that's correct. The hedges aren't meant to be standalone trades. They're they're limit they're, they're they're meant to defray losses. There's always a deductible that you have to pay, just like on your car insurance. Um, but they're they're meant to be there so you could not have to worry about it if the unforeseen happens. You know, and and so GDX, like I just mentioned, came down pretty fast, down to about 34, bounced to 35 today, I think. But um, you know, there's there's a floor, and on that position, as I had mentioned in that example, down not far below here, but that's all hedges are meant to do. Okay. All right. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the interview with Michael, we're speaking on the evening before the Federal Reserve's announcement of what it's going to do this month uh, with interest rates. Uh, like I said, I think everybody is expecting that the Fed's going to announce a 50 basis point hike. Um, my guess is if the markets react you know, substantially one way or the other, it's going to be based on the guidance that the Fed offers in its minutes or in its press conference at that time. We don't yet know what that, that's going to be, but Mike, I'm sure we'll be talking about it next week. Um, anything you might want to say about that, feel free to chime in. But uh, just sort of in wrapping up here, uh, you know, I ask you guys sort of this every week, but you guys are there on the front lines every day, multiple times a day, talking with people just like the viewers of this video, in fact, a number of the viewers of this video, uh, and, um, you know, just reacting to their needs, their concerns, their goals, their fears, etc. So I, I like to use you guys as sort of a pulse for sort of how this general audience is feeling right now. W what are you sensing from the calls you're having right now? And what, what are people's basically biggest needs they're looking for help with right now? The people that we talk to, the viewers of this program, really question the narrative. And, you know, and, and, and thankfully, they're very well informed on what the central bank is doing. And, and by and large, that audience, this audience, uh, I think, really understands that this is unsustainable, that the Fed is going to get found out. Central bank money printing eventually is going to get found out. And, oh, my gosh, what do I do about it? You know, most people, at least that I've talked to in the last few weeks, are substantially more conservatively postured than the general public. Um, oftentimes having a, you know, a, a big slug of cash or money market fund lately, US dollars, and they're concerned about that. There's a big fear that inflation is gonna take off vertically. Um, we generally tell them we don't think that inflation is going to take off vertically from here. Um, and I think this is the, the, the follow-on effect of the trillions and trillions of dollars of printed money that we handed out back in COVID times and throughout 2021, it's, you know, it's finally pushing some consumer prices up, but there does seem to be a deflationary undertone. And frankly, we we're, we're concerned about a collapse in asset prices. That's what we think was likely to happen. And the U S dollar for all the reasons that Michael Avery just talked about and others on your program is probably going to remain strong for a couple of years probably doesn't deserve it overall, but that's probably the reality. So we're not too too concerned about holding onto U.S. dollars, or at least some. After all, you have to have them to take advantage of of lower prices, and that's what we think is likely to happen. Thankfully, on cash positions, you can earn a respectable yield all of a sudden. Even even three month T bills are, are earning close to one percent, and um, a two year Treasury bond I think hit two point seven yesterday when the 10-year bond hit three. So we've got a little piece in the two-year bond and a handful of T-bills 
and we're ready for other opportunities. But like Michael just said in that talk, it's hard to be bullish on anything. And the only question is how long can this charade continue? And we, we don't think that much longer, but we'll see. All right. And, and I was chuckling there as you were talking about the interest rates between one and 3% is like, hey, they're, we're getting to get kind of interesting. Like, mm -hmm. it is so depressing that interest rates of 1%, you know, are a big deal to talk about. <laughs> and that's obviously because of the suppression of interest rates that the Fed has been mm -hmm. conducting for, you know, two decades now, basically. Um, and, you know, we've, I've, I've railed in past videos about how that has just, you know, thrown savers and people who want to live on a fixed income under the bus and all that. So you're, you're right. I'm not trying to take away from your point, Mike, that, that we're sort of seeing a material change here. But uh, it is still very depressing that we get super excited about a, a two point something, you know, uh, uh, interest rate um, because, you know, it's it's nominally very small. <laughs> Historically, you know, compared to 20, 30 years ago, uh, it's very meager nominally. But when you factor in inflation currently running at, you know, whatever it is, eight plus percent, eight point five. Um, yeah, um, you know, it's just it's still a ridiculously negative real return, right? Um, speaking of inflation, yeah. two things. One, um, we had some discussion on this program a few weeks back about whether CPI is peaking or not. And folks, just to remind you. Uh, CPI peaking doesn't mean, you know, it's, it's going to zero. It just means it, it's still increasing. It's just not increasing by as much as it did last month. Um, well, we're going to find out who was right in that debate. Um, it's going to come out, I think, in, within the week. Uh, so we'll be sure to mention on this program. Um, but Mike, you know, I think nobody really expects that if it does come in lower than it did last month to come in a lot lower. Um, I'm getting a lot of seeing a lot of questions in the comments to YouTube these days about I bonds. Um, you know, I bonds basically are a uh, or, or uh, in, Mike, tell me if I bonds and tips are the same thing or if there's a nuance between them. But they're 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 basically a type of bond uh, to help protect your uh, your the, the the bond from inflation. So they track inflation, and right now I think they're they're paying out like. Uh, Eight something percent, I think, Mike. That's right. Yeah. Um, now you're, as far as I understand, you're limited in how to buy them. Um, that you can only buy ten thousand dollars a year per person uh, from the government of these. Um, but uh, is this something that you recommend for clients? Do you give people direction on how they can go get their allotted ten thousand share if they want to in a given year? Yeah. So first of all, I bonds and tips are different. Tips are Treasury inflation protected securities. You know, they trade in the open market. You know, issued by the Treasury trade in the open market and you know, generally large denominations. And I bonds are similar to double E savings bonds. And they're, you know, you purchase them, individuals purchase them directly from the Treasury. From the Treasury, right? Like, like, you know, like Treasury Direct? Treasury Direct. It's treasurydirect.gov, I believe, or treasurydirect.com. I can't remember, but it's easy to find. And, but the concept is similar as an underlying debt security that has some really nominal coupon rate, but that rate is adjusted up or down by the CPIU um, or, or the, just the, the, the consumer price index as published by the government. Now, I understand some people don't trust that number and there's some reason maybe to believe that, but 
you know, no matter what you think about that, it is a number that's published by the government. And the most recent print is plus 8.5%. The nice thing about I-bonds is that anybody can buy them easily directly from, like I just said, treasurydirect.gov. And frankly, we do recommend that people do that. But there's some downsides because, A, you can only buy $10,000 per year per Social Security number. And then, B, they're they're hard to trade out of. And there's a penalty if you sell them within the first five years. It's a small penalty, but still, there's a penalty. So they're meant for savings, long-term savings for individuals. So if you've got a high net worth, you can't put a whole bunch of money into them, nor should you probably because... Again, they're illiquid and they Pretty do have some risks. They are bonds after all. I mean, I mean for, for that reason, we don't, if you have a super high net worth, let's say you can go out and buy a million dollars worth of tips, for instance, but you can't do that with I-bonds, only 10,000 per year. But having said that, we wouldn't say to go buy a million dollars worth of tips because particularly as you get to the longer term durations, they act like a bond. They have an right. inflation component, but if you've got interest rates going up, they're going to go down anyway because- they are, after all, a bond with an inflation uh, component to the coupon. So, but for most people, yes, I think I bonds make great sense. You know, as part of a savings plan for a portion of your savings. All right, and just to be clear, um, it's a floating rate, right? In other words, in a given period, I'm guessing month or quarter, you're getting paid the CPI for that period, right? So if, if the next quarter the CPI drops, whether you're then getting a lower return on it, right? It's just tracking that CPI? That's right. I think it's a six month period, Adam. And it's true, the ones that you buy right now will pay you eight or 9%, but for six months. And then maybe late, if six months later, the that basket of goods stays the same as it was today, well, if the CPI is not gonna be 8% again, it's gonna be zero. You know, if gas, which is, you know, $5 a gallon, let's say, you know, it, it went from three to five, that's a huge jump. And that's a permanent burden on your budget if it stays at five. But if it, if it stays at five for the next three years, the actual measure of increased inflation relative to a gallon of gas is zero. And right, it recalculates to zero. Exactly. Yeah. Terms. Yeah. So the I bonds will give you a good coupon for the first term of six months, but there's no guarantee that'll continue. But having said that, I still think they're a good savings vehicle for part of a diversified plan of savings. And you can be assured if we have the hyperinflation that many people fear that it will protect you in that case too. All right, great. Well, I've mentioned on this channel a couple of times in the past that when I get the time, I'll do a quick um, explainer video showing people how to use Treasury Direct to buy bonds directly. Um, maybe I'll bump up the priority of doing an I-bond tutorial first. If folks are interested in that, uh, let me know in the comment section below. But in the interim, before that gets published, Mike, if folks have questions on how to do that and would like to sort of be walked through the process, is that something you and the team at New Harbor can help them with? Yeah, we're certainly happy to have a chat. Just just jump on the phone anytime and, and, and talk about that. Absolutely. We're All here right. to help and educate. Great. Well, look, in, in wrapping up here, folks, uh, just a reminder, you know, Michael made this point more eloquently than I'm ever going to, but we are in such an uncertain and treacherous time for investing that uh, I think almost everybody, and certainly myself included, uh, should be you know, designing and then executing an investing plan under the, the tutelage or guidance of a good financial advisor who gets these macro issues. Because a lot of the standard guys, as you probably already know, really don't get it. They just tell you, look, market's going to take care of you. Don't worry. Just be long and 
set it and forget it, right? And that may be exactly the opposite strategy that's required going forward. And Michael really echoed that. Um, if you've got a good one, stick with them. Um, if you don't, or you want a second opinion from somebody who thinks like Mike Preston here, um, we offer free, no strings attached consultations with uh, our endorsed financial advisors, of which New Harbor and Mike's team is, is primary among them. Just go to wealthion.com, fill out the short form there, and we will hook you up uh, with those guys. And we, we're, all the instructions are coming up at the end of this video in about 30 seconds. Um, if you enjoyed Michael Every as the guest today, would like to see him return to the program and see us get even more great guests of his caliber, please do support this channel by hitting the like button and then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. All right, Mike, uh, another week. Things are certainly getting interesting here. Um, we're going to hear from the Fed tomorrow, so I'm sure they're going to get even more interesting over the next week. And whatever happens, we'll be back on this program again next week tracking it together. Thanks so much for joining me, Mike, and everybody else. Thanks so much for watching. As always, I had a great time, Adam. Thank you. Have a great week. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type, the kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right. With all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.